If you have a Bible with you, open it up to Isaiah chapter 61. That's the text we're going to be looking at today. And as I said at the beginning of the service, let me ask you a question. I'd really like you to consider this question. In fact, Katie is going to be playing some music for us underneath so that you have some time to consider, we're one week away from Christmas, where in your life do you need God's peace? Where in your life do you need God's peace? Perhaps this are, these are your anxious thoughts that keep you up at night. This is worry. This could be sadness. That could be a stressor in your life right now. Where are you lacking his peace? Where do you need his peace? Let's spend about a minute reflecting on that question. you wrote down. I don't know what is going on in the background of your heart. I know from having conversations with people, including in my own household, uh, for example, our high school students here today, maybe some students back from college, uh, next week is finals week. And in our house, that causes some stress. On top of that, I am married to a teacher, and parents, let me ask you a question. What are you feeding your children the week before Christmas? Is it a candy cane diet? The level of misbehavior, the level of energy in the classrooms. God bless our teachers. God bless our deans. God bless our administrators. We owe you a big one. This is a stressful season. You know, those of you on fixed income, you've noticed the prices keep going up, but the wages stay the same. Maybe it's finances. Maybe there's a loss in your life. We sometimes have a hard time obtaining and staying in a level of peace. And that is why we're looking at Isaiah 61, because Isaiah 61, the prophet, has words that can penetrate the worry, the stressors, the sadness. And it's a word that is not just for the first hearers. It's a word not just for those who were around in Jesus' time. It is a word for us here today. So let's dive in. What we're going to do is really look at the first four verses. And there's something that you need to know about this verse. If you look at verse 1, First of all, this is a Trinitarian verse. Notice that the Spirit is there, the Holy Spirit, the Lord God. This is the Father, and it says that it was upon me. We know that this is really words of Jesus because in Luke chapter 4, uh, 
Jesus is sitting in the synagogue. He opens up the scroll. They're reading from Isaiah 61, and he says, Today in your hearing, this is fulfilled. Jesus is laying claim that these are his words. This is a messianic prophecy about him. And it says, By the Spirit, through God the Father, he has appointed me, appointed Jesus, appointed the Messiah to do what? Bring good news to the poor. Now, right off the bat, maybe you are thinking materially poor. Uh, and that does apply to this text, but in the Hebrew, there's another way we can translate this. And if you have an ESB Bible, you'll notice a little footnote there that says at the bottom, or afflicted. This is a word that encompasses more than just the material poor. If you've ever been poor in spirit, so depressed, anxious, if you're mourning the loss of someone this Christmas season, if you've been hurt by a church, if you've been hurt by a bad spiritual leader, somebody who claimed power and authority and had no business running the church, if you've been abused, if you've been uh, attacked, hurt, anybody who's ever been afflicted ever, in other words, every single person in this room who at some point in time has been poor in spirit, this message is for you. And not only is it a message for you, it says very specifically, this is good news. So what are the good things that he has for us? The first one is this. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now again, there's a double meaning. This is not just those who are uh, held captive. You know, we're praying for the release of terrorists or the release of uh, hostages in Gaza right now. All over the world, people are held in captivity. It's more than just a physical freeing. As you look at Jesus' ministry on earth and you read the Gospels, what was Jesus' business all about? It was to forgive sins. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 6. He says, you are no longer a slave to sin because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so this message of good news is for anybody in the room here today watching from home, if you are brokenhearted by something that you've done, a sin that maybe you've not told anybody about. It's a deep, dark moment of your soul that you're trying to push away, but it just keeps coming back. Jesus today wants to free you. The good news for you is that you don't have to hold on to that sin anymore because you have been forgiven. It is gone. Jesus won for you your freedom. It was destroyed, that sin on the cross of Christ forever. You're free. You look very unimpressed by this good news. It's for those of us who struggle with repeated sin. It's something that you pray about and you say, God, I'm so sorry for this and, and I'm never going to do it again. And then there you find yourself in a weak moment caught up in temptation and you do that thing again and it wounds your heart. Jesus today says, I want to free you from those feelings. You and me, we're good. I love you and I have forgiven you. It's a gift. Well, then he goes on. Another message of good news to the afflicted is that the Messiah has come for the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And if you have an ESV Bible, you'll see another footnote there. Another way we can understand this is for the opening of the eyes to those who are blind. So think of a person who cannot see. They're imprisoned in the darkness of their mind because they can't see color, they can't see light. Well, Jesus came more to... More than to just heal the physically blind. And if you look at the Gospels, there's some wonderful accounts in Scripture where Jesus goes and he produces sight for somebody who's been blind their entire life. He loved to do that. But his greater purpose in that miracle was to point out those who are spiritually blind. And in Scripture, there's really two types of spiritual blindness. On one hand, there are the spiritually arrogant. 
Spiritually arrogant are people who either believe that their moral superiority is better than somebody else's. They look at themselves like, oh, I go to church every Sunday. I wear nice clothes. I know my Bible. I do all the things. I am better than somebody else because of the things that I do spiritually. And it can also mean a spiritually arrogant somebody who rejects Jesus. Somebody who thinks that they don't need Jesus. They can take care of the problems by themselves. This is just a little fairy tale story. We don't need Jesus. That is a form of spiritual arrogance. At the other end of the spectrum, though, are the spiritually ignorant. And that sounds like a harsh term to say, call somebody ignorant, but what really this means are those who might have been led astray by false religion. And there's a lot of churches out there, there's a lot of religions out there that teach something contrary to the gospel, and if somebody follows that religion and follows those teachings and wanders away from the truth that Salvation is a free gift from God and doesn't believe in Jesus. We call those people spiritually ignorant. It just means they've got the spiritual blinders on. They have not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the good news of Isaiah 61 is that the Messiah has come for you. The Messiah has come for them. He wants to free you of your spiritual ignorance. He wants to take the blinders off and help you understand real religion, which isn't religion at all. It's relationship. That's the spiritually ignorant. What about the spiritually arrogant? There's an account in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is speaking with some spiritually arrogant Pharisees. They don't believe in the gospel. They think that they, by their good works, are going to earn heaven. And Jesus says this to them, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick. You know, read into that. The spiritually arrogant don't need a doctor because they don't know that they're sick. It's those who can approach God in humility who can admit that they're broken, who can admit that they can't do it on their own, that they need some help. Those are the people Jesus came to save. And if there is anybody here today, you know, maybe your parents drag you to church today, maybe you're watching from home and you don't think that you need Jesus, this is not all good news. We keep reading. He says that he has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, I want to set spiritually arrogance aside for one second. We'll come back to it. But first of all, day of vengeance of our Lord. That doesn't sound very Jesus-like. It's not WWJD, right? But Jesus is a God of justice. And Jesus promises to come back one day and make all wrong things right. And what that means for some of us in the room here today, if you have ever been hurt by an evil person, if somebody has hurt you physically, emotionally, you know, abuse, if that person has not sought your forgiveness, if that person thinks that they have gotten away with this crime, if they think that they can escape the law of justice, this is speaking otherwise. Because Jesus promises that he is going to come back one day, he's going to judge the living and the dead, and that person who has wronged you will have to pay the price if they don't repent, if they don't turn to Jesus for repentance. What that means for you today is that you no longer have to hold on to that wound. It's actually an invitation from Jesus that you can put that scar, you can put that wound into Jesus' very capable hands. He is going to make it right one way or another. He wants to free you of that burden so that you can be at peace and to trust him for that. Now back to the spiritually arrogant. This does sound like bad news. 
But I want to give you this invitation. If you are here today, and if you are pushing Jesus aside, the second you turn in repentance to him, if you're, again, thinking about something that you've done that you haven't said sorry for, the second that you ask him for it, Jesus is so quick to meet you with forgiveness. And all of a sudden, your bad news has turned into good news because Jesus wants you right now. He's inviting you to repent, to turn to him, to trust him for his grace and his mercy. And the second you do that, boy, you're in the family. Jesus loves you. May your bad news today through repentance be turned into great, glorious news of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And he continues with these blessings. Let's look down, bottom of verse 2. It says that the Messiah has come to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. What Jesus has come to do, in other words, is to turn your funerals into weddings. You think of the sadness of a funeral the dark clothes that people wear, the sadness, the tears in their eyes, Jesus has come to comfort you who are mourning, to flip that upside down so that you would have the comfort that only Christ can provide you, that now because of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, there is great victory, there is great hope, and actually your sadness can be turned into mourning. I'm sorry, into gladness. Luther, in his commentary on Isaiah 61, says this, he describes believers as those who rejoice in the spirit but mourn in the flesh. Rejoice in the spirit but mourn in the flesh. And I don't know who you're thinking of right now. Uh, if you've lost somebody this year who's not going to be at the Christmas table, the Christmas dinner, it is possible because Jesus is so near to you and Jesus has come to comfort you that you can at the same time as you're crying with great tears of sadness have an inner peace as you think about your beloved in heaven with the Lord, I mean, we, we preach this at funerals every, almost every one. Revelation 21, Jesus himself coming down and wiping the tears off your face. In just a few minutes, you're going to be invited to this table where Jesus promises again his nearness, his true body, his true blood. It's a reminder for you, it's a blessing for you that he is near and he wants to comfort those who mourn. It's a great blessing, and it's a great promise to know Christ crucified. All right, now, those are the blessings. Uh, these are the things that the Messiah came to do. It's, it's a gift for you. It's how he blesses you. It's how he changes you. But then, if you receive those things, if you just receive those free gifts he gives you, if you've uh, accepted this into your heart, if you have in any way faith in Jesus Christ, what he then does is turn you into something. Look at verse End of verse 3. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Oaks of righteousness. Do you ever sit around and think about what your purpose in life is? I know this is a heavy philosophical question. Like, sit around, why am I going to work every day? Why am I getting stressed out for finals? Why am I in my house with my kids who are crying and I just want to go to the spa. Why am I doing all this? Now, you may think that your purpose is to build a successful career, to make some money, to raise a family, to be whatever successful thing you're thinking of right now. And all those things are good. Don't hear me say that. They're good. But they're secondary. 
your primary purpose, the reason God puts you here on earth after you've come to faith in Christ is to be an oak of righteousness. What is he talking about? I did some super boring research for this sermon. I looked up oak trees on the internet. And I discovered that there's actually an oak tree in the United States out in Temecula that's 2,000 years old. And there's oak trees that are 1,600 years old and 1,000 years old all through America. These huge, massive trees. They look like aliens if you look at them from an outer space movie with their giant limbs and huge trunks. But think about the purpose of an oak tree for a second. What does it do? Well, it provides shade from the sun. You can go there. You can get respite from the sun. When it's raining, when there's a storm about, you can hide under its branches. It will protect you in a storm. Animals can nest in the oak tree. It provides a place of safety and shelter for people who are trying to seek help from the elements. And you see, this is what Jesus has called you to be and to do. And when you respond in faith and you do any act of kindness in Jesus' name, you are being an oak of righteousness. So think about a person who's in mourning right now. They've lost a loved one. When you go up and you give them a hug, you are being an oak of righteousness. You're providing shelter for their emotional and spiritual needs. You walk out these doors, you see someone who doesn't have the material needs that they uh, need to survive. If you help them out in some way, if you sit and talk with them, you're being an oak of righteousness. If somebody that you know has been wounded, has been hurt, and you take the time to write them a letter or share scripture with them or come to church with them, you're being an oak of righteousness, and God is using you not to glorify yourself. Pay attention, it's very important. But he says to glorify him. In other words, he is using us collectively to be a giant shelter, a forest of protection for those who are weak and vulnerable and hurting so that they might find shelter in the Lord and be comforted in their sadness and in their mourning. That is our purpose in life. Everything else is secondary. That's only the first four verses. I mean, we could spend <laughs> weeks on Isaiah chapter 61. Now, here's my earnest prayer. I have been praying for you, and my prayer is that even if, if you leave with that much more peace today, then when you walked in the doors, then, then praise be to God. But does this ever happen to you? Do you ever hear a sermon that hits your heart? You're reading scripture and you go, oh, Lord, I needed that. And then you get like spiritual ADHD and you go, oh, my problems. I'm the only one? Okay, be prepared to be incredibly underwhelmed in my closing illustration, all right? tell you a story. Uh, last week, my wife and I, Amanda, we went to go hang out with his, her uh, dad, my father-in-law, Bill. Amanda's mom passed away a few years ago. Uh, Bill is remarried to Teresa. We went to go hang out with them, celebrate his birthday, get to know Teresa a little bit better. And uh, selfishly, I also wanted to go because Bill has a super sweet Corvette and a brand new Ford F-150. I'm a car guy. I love cars. And so we go, and we're driving in the new truck, and I'm like, Bill, I like that color. He goes, I know, this is why I picked it out. He goes, but do you know that this is like the most popular colored truck in all of Arkansas, where they live? And sure enough, we see this truck driving down the road. There's another color of it. There's another color of it. And then Teresa pipes up from the back. She says, oh, I got to tell you a story. So a couple weeks ago, I was going to the grocery store, and I had, uh, was in a real big hurry. I put all the groceries in the bags. I put it in the cart, and I'm pushing the cart out to the truck when this man starts running from the grocery store to track me down. And I was kind of worried about that, because why is this guy chasing after me? What's going on? 
He says, well, ma'am, I think you left this can of olives on the conveyor belt. And she looks through her bags, and she goes, sure enough, I left those can of olives. She goes, thank you so much. And he goes, I'll do you one better. You're putting your groceries into my truck. And she looks, and sure enough, while the outside of the truck, it was the exact same color, the inside was completely different. She just mindlessly opened the door that happened to be unlocked and was putting her cars in another man's truck, her groceries in another man's truck. Here's the point. I think that especially around Christmas time, we do the exact same thing. You know, we say that Christmas is all about Jesus, and Jesus is the reason for the season. We come to worship, and we look forward to Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, but then we put our stuff, our worries, in the wrong thing. You know, for example, if you are missing somebody this Christmas, your temptation will be to think more about the person who isn't there than to dwell in the presence of Christ who promises to be with you in your mourning and in your sadness. You might be tempted to put more energy and more time into the presence under the tree instead of the presence of Christ, which the celebration is all about, your Lord and your Savior who does all these things for you, who gave you all these wonderful things. And the trick here, the key is this as we close. We have to go back to that oak of righteousness. Now remember, this is all a gift from God. You have none of your attributes, none of your, your great things, or your, your good deeds that you do. None of that is really yours. It's how Jesus has wired you. He's given you these things to be oaks of righteousness, but it came at a great cost. And it's another kind of tree that we have to look to when we have spiritual ADHD. It's the tree of the cross. It's a cross of shame. It's a place where Jesus was nailed. It's a place where Jesus bled. It's the place where Jesus died. It's a cross of shame, and he endured that. He endured its shame so that you could know this Christmas, whenever your mind wanders, that you are eternally loved, that God will not stop to win you back to himself, that he will not stop to seek those who you are worried about who are lost. He will not stop until you have what you need, a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to turn your attention towards the real Jesus this Christmas. As you look at the empty tomb, yes, or the cross, yes, but especially focus on the empty tomb. And I know it's not Easter, but we're going to close with this because I know you know the response. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen Hallelujah. Hallelujah.